0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers, today we return to Vance Havner. Talking about his upbringing, Havner says, from our front porch we could see at night the lights of five little towns. From our back porch, one could see Grandfather Mountain, Table Rock, and Companion Peak standing like centennials along the western skyline. I grew up with a Bible in one hand and a bird book in the other. I never knew the day when I didn't feel the need to preach and write. I memorized Bible portions, made little Sunday school talks, and sent my first sermon to our small-town newspaper when I was nine. Today, Vance Habner discusses the name Emmanuel and its meaning, God with us.
1: You're acquainted with the fact that in Isaiah 7.14 and Matthew 1.23, we are told that one of the names of our Lord is Emmanuel, which means God with us. I remember during the First World War reading about a German soldier in the trenches over in France where they spent most of the time during that war. Rigged up a sign and uh, ran it up for the Britishers to see in the opposite lines. Got mittens, God with us, in German. But the Englishman over on the opposite side couldn't read German. It was bitterly cold, and he thought that German was trying to tell him that as cold as it is, we got gloves, got mittens. So he ran up a sign. We got mittens, too, (laughs) over on our side. Well, I'm glad the Christian can run up a sign, God with us. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel. I've noticed all through these years, and I'm sure you have, too, that in all kinds of meetings, especially in church services, When you call on some deacon to pray or somebody else, he invariably says, Lord, be with us in this service. And I feel like getting up and saying, Brother, he is. Now, I think he means, Lord, make us conscious of thy presence and aware of thy presence. But I just get a little weary of hearing folks say, Lord, be with us. Well, if he's not here this morning, what are we doing here? We might as well have stayed at home Lord, be with us, he is. He is, for one thing, our contemporary. He's the great I am. And my Lord said before Abraham was, I am. He's not the great I was, nor the great I will be. He lives in the now. The infinitudes of God never put him in a past tense. There's only one thing that Jesus Christ ever was. He was dead. But thank God he came to and came out, and he lives forevermore. And there's only one place where he is not. God is omnipresent. He's not in that grave. He came out, and he's here now. Jesus Christ the same today invariably in small prayer meetings, and we have an awful lot of them, alas, in our churches. Somebody's sure to remind the Lord of that verse where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I, and I have a feeling that sometimes he's more conscious of the absence of the people than he is of the presence of the Lord. We ought to be aware that he's here Evan Roberts, who was used so wonderfully in the Welsh Revival, went to a meeting where they were just waiting for Evan Roberts. They didn't think anything could happen until Evan Roberts got there. If only he would appear, and he did. and He walked out on the platform and said, Do you believe the promises? Yes. Do you believe that and uh, the one that says where two or three are gathered in my name, them, yes, do you believe the Lord is with us therefore now? Yes. Well, he said, if he's here, you don't need me. So he put on his hat and coat and walked out and left at me. Well, that was a dramatic way of driving home the fact that we have the one we need. You turn back to Exodus, and my, what a blessing I get out of what Moses said after the awful incident of the golden calf. But God said to him, and I'll keep on going, don't stop. My presence shall go with thee, and I'll give thee rest. And then Moses asked, Wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now that's the trademark of the church. That is the one thing that distinguishes the church from every other gathering on the face of the earth, the conscious presence of God among his people. If we don't have that, we have met in vain. I was brought up on that old song, Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Won't you pray with all your power, While we try to preach the word, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And that's the truth. That's what makes the meeting. Now let me ask you this morning, how how many meetings have you been to in the last year? Tell me the truth now. No, you don't have to do it out loud. But how many meetings have you been in in the last year where the thing that impressed you most was the presence of God. It's kind of sad if we give an honest report. I was thinking about that. How many have I been in in the last year where the thing that stood out most, not the building, not even the sermon, not the singing, not the organ, the thing that impressed me most was that God was there. I don't think I've been in too many. He's there, but uh, I, maybe it was me, maybe it, I was at fault, but it'll do to think about. It. Many years ago, oh, it must be 35 years ago, in meetings down in Georgia. We had a two-weeks meeting in a certain church, and we had quite a time. I wasn't an inactive member in the whole place. Those that weren't for me were against me, but they all took a stand during the meeting. And that's encouraging, at least. And uh, one morning, a preacher friend of mine slipped in. He told me about it later. The service hadn't even started, and he and his wife sat down there, and he turned to her and said, God's here. And that's all he said. There hadn't been any singing, there hadn't been any praying, the preacher hadn't shown up yet, he said, God's here. And he was. That's what I longed for. I felt that last night we had a blessed sense of the Lord's presence in the meeting. Now, I don't know when I've been up here where you ever broke out into applause. I didn't expect these Pennsylvania Dutch folks and men and knights and Presbyterians and all the rest, but they did. Now, I'm Pennsylvania Dutch myself, just transplanted down to North Carolina anyhow. Hoff, Hoffner, it used to be or something like that. Well, I was a, I was aware of the presence and sense of the Lord. You know the old story about the fellow who wrote to a Washington pastor and said, Well, will the president be at your church next Sunday? And he answered, I don't know, but the Lord will be there. Oh, that we might get that on our minds. He's not only our contemporary, he's our companion. Enoch walked with God, and it's said of Moses, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And of course Micah says, What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, love, mercy, and walk humbly with thy God? And the New Testament tells us about the paraclete, the one called alongside to help, the blessed Holy Spirit. I have a friend in the Wesleyan Methodist Church down our way, John R. Church. He's getting pretty old now, but that man's been a great creature. little spindly fellow like myself looked like the puff of wind would blow him away. And uh, I've heard him tell, and it always blessed my soul, how that one time he went to a log rolling. And you know how they do at a log rolling. They get this log and put a stick up here and one down here and down here. And they fell on each side. They lift it up and here they go. And he said, they put me, they teamed me up with a great big husky fellow way over 200 pounds. And I was on the other side. And he said, I hadn't taken three steps till my muscles began, to bulge and my eyes began almost to pop out and the sweat that was on my brow. And I thought, I'll never make it. I'll just never make it. But the big fellow on the other side sort of whispered across to him. He said, roll a little of it over on me. And he said, I did. He said, when we got there, I had rolled all of it. Over on him. But he said, there was a time in my life when my load was too heavy, and I couldn't make it. And I remembered that we're told about one called alongside the help. And I remembered the old verse, Roll thy burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He said, that's how I've made it from then till now. I've learned how to roll it over on the Lord. Now, do I speak to somebody here this morning that's all puffing and blowing because you're trying to lug the log yourself? No, no, you've got a great companion. God said to his chosen people in the Old Testament when they started out for the promised land, I'll be with you. Whatever you need, I've got it. Whatever you want, I'll give it. If you want water, I'll make a fountain out of a rock. If you want bread, I'll cover the ground with wafers from heaven. If you want meat, I'll send you all a fresh quail you can pull down from right over your head. If you want shade, I'll send you a pillar of cloud by day. And if you need light, I'll send you a pillar of fire by night. They may throw you into a fiery furnace, but you'll have company. And the fellows on the outside will say, I can't figure this out. Threw in three fellows and I see four. Thank God for the fourth in the fire. And they may, well, they may throw you in the lines then, but I'll be in there too and I'll millennialize those lines. And you'll lay your head on the mane of one of them and sleep while old King Darius is looking for his psalmonex. I'll be there. i thank the Lord. And that's been true through the years, all of God's people. And then when the purchase people started out to evangelize the world, the Lord said, go and do it. And lo, I am with you all the days, the good days and the bad days, the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs, when you feel like it and when you don't. I'm with you all the days. Paul said, all men forsook me, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. There was old John on Patmos. He must have been blue. All the other disciples, all the other apostles were gone. He was the lone survivor. Uh, had no company there to cheer up his spirits, he must have said, is this what I get for being a soldier of the cross and a follower of the Lamb on this forsaken spot out here in the middle of the sea? No wonder when he saw the new heaven and earth, he added among the characteristics and there was no more sea. I think he'd looked at that water long enough and it did him a lot of good to know that one day there would be no more sea and yet one day the glorified Lord showed up he was in the spirit, John was on the Lord's day. Now, that's a good, that's a good way to be. And uh, Jesus, the glorified Christ, appeared. Now, John had seen him in the flesh, walked around with him three years in Galilee. He'd seen him in his resurrection body. But this time he saw him glorified and it knocked him out. He fell as a dead man. I think sometimes it would be a wonderful thing on Sunday morning if our careless Sunday morning congregations could get one little glimpse of the glorified Christ. I think it might knock us out, and that might be good for us. But I do know we wouldn't go out of the church saying some of the silly things we say a few minutes after we get out the door. Not if we had been stunned by the sight of the glorified Lord. And Jesus touched him, though. John didn't lay his head on the breast of that Christ like he'd done before. No, no. It knocked him out. But Jesus said, now, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm here before all the things that you're scared of ever came along. And I'll be here after all the things you're scared of are gone. So don't be afraid. Ah, how we need to see that glorified Lord. Just a touch, just a glimpse. I don't want you to be afraid of life because I'm he that liveth. I don't want you to be afraid of death because I was dead. And I don't want you to be afraid of eternity because I'm alive forevermore. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. He will not, he will not desert to expose that soul though all hell. Should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. I heard of a dear old soul. Our pastor was a sort of a Greek scholar, and he said, Now, do you know, sister, that, uh, that uh, that's what it says, really? You could translate it that way. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. She said, Well, the Lord may have to say it three times to get you Greek scholars to believe it, but once is enough for me, and it ought to be enough for all of us. Then I think of old Elisha at Dothan. They sent the army after him. In those days, preachers preached so that they sent the militia after him. Maybe we need more of that kind of preaching today. And Elisha's servant got out on the porch to wash his hands and looked around, and my soul, here a soldier, there a soldier, everywhere a soldier, completely surrounded. And he ran back in the house and said, they got us this time. And old Elisha came out and he didn't even bother looking down. He looked up. And there were angels to the right of him and angels to the left of him. Here an angel, there an angel, everywhere an angel. Because the angel of the Lord was encamping round about him that feared him. And Elisha said, Lord, open this fellow's eyes so he can see. Now, if you've been looking down lately, may the Lord have mercy on you. You've been looking at Watergate for how many years? I've forgotten. It seems like forty. Well, that's sort of over. But don't, uh, don't, don't focus your gaze down this way. There are still angels. Raise your sights. I know we got demons. Every other book today is on demons got me so I want to look under the beds at night. <laughs> I wish somebody would write one on Jesus Christ, or on angels anyhow. We've got angels. I was in a little town some time ago where a man by the name of Angel had a shop. He had a sign in front, Angel Service. And I said, man, I've had that all these years. Because my Bible says, are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Friend, you've got angel service. I believe they're there. I'm not going to get so scared of demons that I forget about the angels being around. I believe that we are in a demonic time. I know that. I realize that. I realize that it's a serious issue. But as I said last night, don't get out on one spoke of the wheel. Get over there to the hub and get everything in order. Long ago, the apostle Paul took stock of his adversaries. No man ever had any more than he had. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, You'd think that is enough, but no, he widens it out. He starts with death and goes through life and goes up for angels and principalities and powers and comes down to earth for things present, dips out into the future for things to come and goes up for height and down for depth. And then just to make sure that he hadn't missed anything, he said, and any other creature. I can't think of any other creature, can you? (laughs) And he said, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole business, cannot separate you from the love of God and Jesus Christ. You see, with one sweep, he took in the whole business. Not only is Jesus Christ my companion here, but he unites me with all other saints of the past. I believe in the communion of the saints. I wonder whether many people know what they're even talking about or hearing about when we talk about the communion of the saints. Past, present, and future. You may think death divides you from your loved ones, but if they're in Christ, uh, no, no, they can hide them, but they can't divide them from you because they're just on Christ's other side. And then finally, God is our co-worker. He's not only our contemporary and our companion, but we are laborers together with God. The harvest is plenteous and the laborers few. In Matthew 12, verse 30, is one of the greatest unused texts on soul winning in the Bible. I don't know of a better one on evangelism and never in all my life heard anybody ever use it in connection with evangelism. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Why, that's evangelist. That's soul winning. And it only allows for two kinds of people. There's nothing relative about that verse. It's absolute. You're either with him or you're against him. You see, we divide people horizontally, high class, middle class, low class, but the Lord divides them vertically to the right and to the left. And if you're not with Christ, you're not just non-Christian or un-Christian, you are anti-Christian. not but two kinds of folks. We've simply got to get away from this notion that God's sitting on a cloud way up yonder, sending a program down here for us to carry out. God's down here working in and among and for and with his people. Just as Moses said, is it not in that thou goest with us? And so we have the great commission and we have the great companion and the great co-worker. Lo, I am with you. Now you have our position in that verse He that is not with me, it's stated negatively, but there it is, with me first of all, dead with Christ, crucified with Christ, risen with Christ, hid with Christ, joint heirs with Christ. We're going to be gathered to him one of these days, but we first gather with him, and we must do business with him in order to do business for him. We're with him in the heavenlies, but we work down here with him in the earthlies. D.L. Moody was having a testimony meeting and a fellow jumped up and said he'd been on the Mount of Transfiguration for 25 years. Moody knew that didn't sound right. So he said, how many souls have you ever won to the Lord? And the fellow couldn't think of any. Moody said, we don't want that kind of mountaintop experience. If it doesn't get you down the mountain, And we're living in a time now when everybody wants to try to get to heaven on excitement. And that's why there's so much upheaval in the churches today, in the work of the Holy Spirit and everything else today. It seems like that you think that you can live bouncing from one mountaintop to another. You can't do it. Your constitution couldn't stand it. Why, even the Welsh Revival, wonderful as it was, everybody would have died if they'd kept that up indefinitely, staying up all night and all the rest of it. You can't take that sort of thing, and God knows it, and we ought to. It's a good thing to get up there once in a while, but you're not called to build tabernacles for Moses and Elijah all the rest of your days. You're called to get down the mountain, and there's a man down there halfway down it with a demonized boy that needs help. And he has brought him to the disciples, and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't then. They can't now. And he's waiting for Jesus, but you're is representative. And if you saw anything up there, you ought to be able to take it down there. The vision ought to be translated into a venture. If you can't bring what you saw among the clouds down to the cobblestones and live it out, if you can't bring the mystery down to the misery and live it out down there, you haven't seen anything anyhow. Oh, how we need today to discover this anew! You. you. can't live on excitement. Young people are finding that out, and some of them are sobering up and finding that you just can't get through this world that way. And even religiously, you simply can't spend all your time patting your foot and singing hallelujah. Well, then you have the practice. He that is not with me, you first get located, and then you gather. He's the great gatherer. Have you ever studied Jesus, the great gatherer? He's the gatherer of Israel because all through the Old Testament we read such verses as, Save us, O Lord, and gather us from among the heathen. God shall gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. I will even gather you from all nations. I will even gather you uh, from uh, the uh, uh, people... And assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered and I'll give you the land of Israel. Now, of course, that hasn't been fulfilled completely yet. But against that background, Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't forget that he first came to the Jews. And the question's been asked. What would have happened if the Jews had accepted him? Well, that's one of those questions you don't need to ask. Because it was in the counsels of God, it behooved him to suffer and to rise the third day. But Jesus did come and offer himself as the gatherer of his own people. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And when he saw in point of time that they wouldn't have him, he stood on the Mount of Olives, looked over Jerusalem, and said, How oft would I have gathered? Thy children together, O Jerusalem, as a hen gathereth their chickens in their wings. And you would not. But he's also the gatherer of the Gentiles. Genesis 49.10 says, The scepter shall not depart Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now they had a king in the Sanhedrin until Jesus came. They said, We have no king but Caesar. And they didn't have one for a long time after that. But when Israel refused, then the gospel turned as a light to the Gentiles. And it's the power of God to salvation today to the Jew first, also to the Greek. You remember that on one occasion, John 11, 47, 52... When Caiaphas said, You know nothing at all, nor consider it expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, God, uh, for a moment, restored inspiration to that old high priest. I don't know whether he knew what he was talking about or not, really, but for a moment. And he says here, This spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. and." Not for that nation only, but should gather in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. In the third place, he's not only the gatherer of Israel and the Gentiles, he's the gatherer of the church. He's not converting the world. The world isn't going to be converted. God never started out to convert the world. It's never going to be Christianized. It ought to be evangelized, but never be Christianized. He's gathering the ecclesia, the outcalled ones, Acts 15:14, taking out a people for his name, as Amos put it, and as Acts records it too. And then in the next place, he'll be the upgatherer of the saints one of these days. 1 Thessalonians 4, Matthew 15, 30, or 1330, when he gathers the wheat into the barn. You've heard maybe some of you older folks, Dr. Pettengill used to tell about the magnetic crane that was lowered over the junk heap. And all the iron and the steel in that old junk pile jumped up and grabbed it because there was an affinity between the crane and those metals. But all the copper and the brass stayed right where it was. There wasn't any affinity. It may have been rusty, it may have been shiny, but it didn't jump up and meet the crane. One of these days the Lord's coming and everybody who's a partaker of the divine nature is going up. There's going to be a lot of church folks left there. Pretty shiny, but they're just brass. And they're not going there. He shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and gather together his elect from the four winds, one end of heaven to another. The Son of Man shall send forth the angels and gather out of the kingdom. Now this time he's gathering all things that offend and then the people that operate them, them that do iniquity and cast them into a furnace of fire. He's the outgatherer. He's the upgatherer and then the outgatherer. Every once in a while, you know, they have a spell of cleaning up the movies. I suppose you notice how they've succeeded. The Lord's going to clean it up on these days. He's going to send a team of angels down here. And then there's the final great big... Gathering, Ephesians 1:10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both in heaven and on earth. Now, what do you have? The rejected gatherer of Israel, the gatherer of the Gentiles, the gatherer of the church, the upgatherer of the saints, the outgatherer of those that offend and the things that offend, and the final gatherer of all things to himself. Now, that's what the Lord we have, and no wonder he said, he that gathereth not with me. Scattereth the road. Don't you see what big business you're in? We're the co-laborers, and he's the co-laborer with us. You see, that rules out an inactive church member, because if you're not gathering with Jesus Christ, you're scattering, but you're active, either one's activity. If you're not drawing people to Jesus, you're driving people away from Jesus by the very fact that you're not drawing them to him. It's bound to work one way or the other. And my, what glorious business it is. The day's coming, Malachi tells us, when he's going to make up his jewels. We're in the jewelry business. He's going to gather his jewels. I heard of a traveling salesman in the days of train travel who came into a coach where a bishop was sitting over by the window, looking out the window in deep thought, as I suppose bishops are, I don't know. And this traveling salesman came up to him, sat down, you know, the type that's always outgoing, looked like he'd just finished reading How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he sat down and said, I'm a traveling man. And the bishop remembered that we're pilgrims and strangers, said, so am I. And uh, the salesman said, I'm in the jewelry business. And the bishop remembered this verse in Malachi, when he cometh to make up his jewels, and he said, well, that's interesting, so am I. The salesman said, I'm in partnership with my father. The bishop said, it grows more interesting, so am I. The salesman said, boy, am I ever anxious to get home and turn in a good report. And the bishop said, shake, brother, so am I. (laughs) Oh, beloved, it's great business that we're in. Now, you change the figure to fishing, and it works just the same. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's a command, and that's a promise. Don't just read books on fishing. You never catch any fish reading books on fishing. You don't learn how to swim reading a book on how to swim. A lot of our Bible teaching today reminds me of swimming lessons on dry land. You've got to make the plunge. You've got to get out there and fish. Go where the fish are and get at it. Old Sam Jones said, if I was down on the creek and not catching any fish, I'd change bait or change creeks. Well, change something because you're supposed to. He, my Lord said he'd make you a fisher of You said, well, I failed. You remember over in Luke 5, 1 11, after Jesus had spoken to them, after he left speaking, he said, long child, and uh, let down your nets. After the sermon came the summons, and after the address came the action. Into the deep. God wants deep water Christians. There are only two places, somebody said, where a ship is safe. In the harbor or out on the sea, but never in the shallows. That's the only place you're safe. A ship in a harbor is a nice thing to look at, but ships are not made just to sit around in harbors. They're made for the sea. Somebody has said the church is not a point of arrival, it's a point of departure. Church is not a place just to come to to hear the gospel, it's a place to go from to tell the gospel. Let down your nets for a draught and expect results. You see, Jesus said let them down for a drought. Expect something. Don't let them down, period. Let them down for a drought. Expect something. You remember when the disciples said, We've toiled all night and taken nothing. I wonder if I speak to somebody here this morning who's in that fix. You've toiled, but you don't have anything to show for it. Maybe the trouble is it's been you doing it. We have toiled all the night. And anything that starts with we always ends with nothing. But the next word he said was nevertheless. At thy word, I will let down the net. Ah, he's changing gears now. And that little word, nevertheless, is the bridge that he crosses over from failure to success. We have toiled all night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. You ever get to the place in your life where you quit striving and trying to do it yourself and get on that little bridge called nevertheless and get over there and say, At thy word and thy will, I will. And then you can't lose for winning, because you've got the great companion and the great contemporary and the great co-laborer working with you. Our Father, this morning, help us remember we're in the jewelry business and the fishing business and that we have a great contemporary and a great companion and a great co-worker. Lord, it's thy work, and thou art working in us to will and do of thy good pleasure. And help us to cooperate. Get busy about it, and remember that we cannot fail when Jesus is in the boat and we follow his instructions. Bless this meditation to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Vance Havner. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.